Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And I invite you to go there with me. Uh, 1 Timothy is an amazing letter from the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy that we're going to dive into a certain section of this book, this letter today. And uh, I pray, honestly, that it's an encouragement to you. Um, as I was kind of preparing for this week and kind of looking at what God might have for us, um, there was something that kind of kept coming back to me from First Timothy here. And uh, what I really wanted to kind of open up with was get us thinking along the lines of, and you don't need to answer out loud or, or anything like that, but just kind of get us thinking along the lines of, uh, when was the last time we really just kind of dwelled on the, the presence of God and his holiness? And I know uh, we talk a lot about his love and his mercy, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that because it is needed. Uh, we need to understand the love and mercy and the grace that God has extended to us. Amen. We need his grace. Amen. Uh, but I think that sometimes in my own life, I have to step back and kind of think, okay, but I need to dwell on the fullness of God. Uh, we can kind of start kind of picking out the things of God that we, we really want to emphasize and we kind of maybe unwittingly or even unknowingly, we maybe kind of ignore some other areas of God's presence and God's character. And so this morning, I want to kind of look at a passage and I, I hope that it'll be an encouragement to us where we can take some time to just dwell on the holiness of God, on the sheer majesty of God, on the greatness that is our God. And, and I want it to be a time where we just kind of lift him up this morning and we acknowledge him for who he really is and not maybe who we can make him into in our lives. And so this morning, I want to look at just two verses to start. Uh, we're going to come back to these towards the end of the message and then we'll jump around a little bit in chapter 6. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 15. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, the word of God says this which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 16. Listen to what he says here. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, unto or whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Man, when you read those two verses, and we're going to put it in context in just a moment so we understand why Paul is writing these things, but I pray that you get the fullness of this as best we can in verse 16, that he is God. Man, verses 15 and 16, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. I know Pastor Greg just prayed. But I want to kind of just take a moment. And in all the fullness of what we experienced this morning, I mean, just what a great morning it's been already. Uh, my heart is full. Uh, I have loved to hear how God is moving, leading, guiding, and directing. Uh, Brother Gary, that song couldn't have been more perfect. Uh, it was just awesome. Sandra and I were sitting there like, man, that song's amazing. Um, the goodness of God. Man, he has always been faithful to us. We, do we always feel that way? We always feel like he's always been faithful? Sometimes we get a little, I don't know, Lord, maybe you fell asleep at the wheel for a little bit there. We feel that way sometimes in this life. But here's the reality. The truth is he's always been good. He's always been faithful. He's never ceased being faithful because we don't think he's faithful or because he's not the on-demand God we think he should be. He's always good. Man, the goodness of God is an amazing reminder how blessed we really are. 
And so this morning, I want to pray just real quick. I want to ask God, God, give us the insight, the ability to understand. We just want to dwell in the majesty of God this morning. We just want to dwell in his presence. And I know we already have been before him in worship and time of praise and prayer and giving and and everything we've done this morning is in his presence. I understand that. But I want us to put our hearts and our minds and just dwell them there. I want to just kind of, somebody might say it like as camp out there a little bit. I want to kind of just spend some time this morning just truly elevating God. And make him the focal point this morning. Make him what it's all about. And I know it's already been that way, but let's just, let's spend some time doing that this morning and then kind of unpack what that looks like for us. And so let's pray and ask God to do that in our lives today. Father, we thank you for all that's already gone on. I can't put into words how, how blessed I feel, how, how filled up and how fueled up I feel uh, just knowing that you are so good. Lord, I know that there are times in our lives we don't feel that way. Lord, and I would be naive to think that there isn't somebody in this room because of just human nature and how life can be. Lord, maybe there's somebody in this room that isn't feeling that way this morning, isn't really feeling that you're that good, isn't really believing in the goodness and the faithfulness of God because of what they're going through. And Lord, I don't know their hearts. I don't know their minds. I don't know what's going on. Maybe, maybe they are aware of it and they even dislike that they're thinking these thoughts and having these doubts and questioning your goodness. But Lord, I pray that we would know that we can bring those before you just like we bring words of praise. And we can be honest and real before you, but Lord, I pray that as we're doing that, that we would also allow you to, to show us something this morning, allow you to open our hearts and minds to your word and what you have for us. And so that, yeah, we're real and we're honest. We're admitting that we're not okay in some area of our life right now. We're questioning these things. But Lord, we're also, also willing to say we're not okay with staying not okay. And we want to be, be changed. We want to be made new and renewed in our thinking. We want to be transformed into the person of, uh, in the image of Christ. We want to be made new. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do that in a mighty way this morning. I thank you for being the God that you are. And I pray that we would continue to worship you as we dwell on these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul, as I've already mentioned, is writing this letter. We call this also an epistle. That's not really a popular word today that you'd hear people saying, like, I got an epistle from so-and-so in the mail. Uh, We call them letters. And so he's writing this letter to a young man named Timothy, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, uh, which could be one church or it could be a handful of home churches that he was the pastor for many home churches in the area. And he's ministering and he's encouraging these in the church. And Timothy apparently is facing some opposition, facing some level of either uh, his own weaknesses coming to the surface, uh, which we all have those, his own insecurities, or there's something in the church, somebody in the church that's kind of coming up against him. And, and seemingly, as we read First and Second Timothy, we get a feel for that, that Timothy is a faithful man. He's desiring to be used by God, but he's also going through some things where maybe he's getting some opposition. Some believe the reason he faced opposition was because of his age. Uh, many believe Timothy could have been in his uh, late, late teens, maybe early to mid-20s, somewhere in that range. And so he's a younger man trying to pastor this church. Uh, obviously, Paul is encouraging him, and he's reminding him of the greatest encouragement we all need, not so much how great Timothy is, 
When you read these letters, you don't get, man, Timothy's a great guy, and that's what Paul was trying to remind him of. When you read these letters, you get that Paul was reminding Timothy of the greatness of God and saying, listen, I know you feel weak, but remember who called you into ministry. Remember who equipped you into ministry. Remember who led you to be in ministry. That's the person you need to focus on to be encouraged. Because if we look at our own strengths and think that reminding ourselves of our own strengths is going to encourage us, we're going to be left flat. We're not going to have any encouragement because we have weaknesses probably greater than our strengths, right? Uh, we all have weaknesses and insecurities. And so Paul's job in First and Second Timothy is not, I'm going to remind Timothy how awesome he is. That's not Paul's journey or mission. His point is, I'm going to remind Timothy of how awesome God is. And in doing that and reminding Timothy that God is the one that has called you, God is the one that equipped you, that will strengthen Timothy to face any and all opposition in the church and even in the culture. This is kind of a, maybe a way of follow-up to the Good Work series that we just finished up last week. And again, if you weren't with us, we spent about four weeks looking at the book of Nehemiah and talking about that God has called all of us, all of us to a good work, a task or a, a journey that we're supposed to take and, and reach people for Christ and minister for Christ and reach people for the gospel. And as you think about that, this is kind of like a follow-up to that, I guess, in a sense. But I, I feel that we can be encouraged in the same way Timothy was. I feel that if we face opposition and feel discouraged and feel defeated and feel like we're not good enough, when we get into this understanding of who God is and that that God is the one who called us and equipped us, we actually started in Timothy, if you remember going all the way back to the week one, talking about that he is the one that equips us. It's the word of God that lays the foundation that we stand upon for our knowledge of salvation and good works. And so it's that foundation. And so if we get to the point of understanding, man, this is who my God is. And again, I know we know some of this. Let me just ask a quick, quick question. This is not to shame anybody or embarrass anybody. It's just my own curiosity and maybe it'll help us a little bit. How many of you would say, now you may have started off in church but drifted and got back into church. That's fine. We're not asking for all that. Uh, we don't need all that dirty laundry out here. But, okay, how many of you would say that you primarily grew up in church? You grew up in church, meaning mom and dad, grandma, grandpa took you to church. Raise your hand. Keep it up for just a second. Okay. You guys can take a look around. Okay. So how many of you would say you have a pretty good knowledge of like the basic Sunday school, junior church Bible stories? You got a pretty good base, David, Goliath, Abraham, and Isaac. Okay. All right. Yeah. My point is this. Most churches, I would assume, and just my understanding of talking to people, have people like that, where it's, we've kind of grown up in this thing. We've kind of been exposed to this thing. Now, I've shared my testimony. I didn't come to Christ until I was 16. Didn't really get serious about following Christ until probably about 17. Started Bible college at 18. Had no idea about anything in this book other than Jesus saves. Okay, I thought, that's good enough. What else do you need to know? And I went to Bible college. And I've shared this before. The first thing they did at BBC was they gave you a test of all this Bible history and Bible knowledge and all. It's like a, I don't know, like 150 uh, question test. And they're going to see where you're at. What do you know? What do you not know? Where do you feel confident? What are you lacking in? You want to talk about intimidation? I'm not kidding you. Question one, I was like, I don't know. Question two, I don't know. I literally scored like a 48 on this test. Horrible. Then they tell you after the test, well, don't worry. This is just to kind of see where you're at. And hopefully you'll find some areas you can grow in. Well, if you had told me that at the beginning of the test, I'd have felt a lot better about this experience, okay? I didn't know much of this stuff. And so some of you, you know the stories, you know the, 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 the David and Goliaths, you know the ins and outs of these things. You can rattle off the books of the Bible, and that's great. 
Let me say this. If anybody here has grown up in church and you've been made to feel like somehow that's a bad thing, man, shame on them, whoever told you that. Man, you should praise God for a heritage of faith if somebody brought you to church as a kid and raised you up under the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Man, I applaud parents and grandparents who step in and encourage their kids to know the Lord at a young age. I think that's amazing. Man, I pray that I and Sandra would do a, a better job and continue to grow in how we can encourage our kids so that when they get to be 18, 19, 20, 21, they're not out in the world just being crazy and not sure what to do. At least they have an understanding. This is what God desires of me. This is where God wants me. Now, the choices they make are up to them. That's not under our control. But at least we've done our part to equip them with the knowledge. Our job is just to show them the word of God and let them decide what they're going to do with it. But I applaud that. So here, I don't want you to read this and go, oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's the danger, right? The blessing is being raised up in church, having that heritage. Man, you just know that you know that you know you're saved, and it's great. Man, you know the word of God. It's a resource you go to, not just when you're in trouble, but it's something that encourages you. But the danger of being so familiar with church and so familiar with the Bible stories is it becomes just too familiar, if you know what I mean. All of a sudden, now it's just, well, I've heard that. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You know one of the amazing things my 12-year-old tells me all the time? I don't say this to embarrass them. It's just truth. And if you've had teenagers or preteens, you know that you know you've heard this. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But my 12-year-old apparently knows everything. <laughs> and I love that about you. If he's, he's probably hiding right now back there. But. And he, we joke about this all the time. He knows this, I'm, this is not embarrassing him. We joke about this all the time. He's, he's fine. But everything I say, well, Anthony, blah, blah, I know. Any parents or grandparents raised teenagers that were told, you know, way more than you want to remember? Okay, a few. Okay, a few. How about, to- ever have a toddler tell you I know? That's awesome. You're three. You know nothing. Okay. Just kidding. Don't yell at your toddler. That would terrify them. Okay. If they're potty trained, you're going to unpotty train them doing that. You know what I'm saying? All over the place. Okay, anyway, so. When you think about this, though, like, we can do this to God, right? I mean, don't we do this to him? We're in a devotion, and God is showing us something, and we're like, oh, Lord, I know. Oh, sovereign God of all creation that's uh, spoken everything to existence and formed me from the dust of the ground and breathed into my nostrils the breath of life. I know. I know. I just, oh, I'm so thankful for the grace of God and the patience of God. Because there's been so many times I've, like, snot, in a snotty to- tone, arrogant, oh, God, yeah, I know. And I just, if I was God, I'd been like, no, you don't. Watch this. And you don't know nothing. You're so smart. Okay, watch this. Go. It's just crazy how we get with God. And so when we get into this content this morning, and really every Sunday morning, every time we get before God's word, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when you're in your own private devotions, man, I pray. And I listen, this is not just me getting on you guys. This is me to me. I do this. And I pray that I would never get too familiar with this book to where it's just a book. It's just, in Bible college, this is the issue. Some of you went to a Bible college or a Bible school of some kind where, where this was literally the textbook. Do you know that was the biggest danger for me? I started learning this as a textbook. And I could rattle off, I mean, by my sophomore year, later freshman year, I was starting to figure it out. Okay, I was doing all right, doing all right. And it got to the point where I was like, whoa, man, I don't even, the last time I had a personal devotion and I wasn't just reading something for a test or a paper or an essay, a, I had to, like, really kind of snap myself out of that my junior year. Like, whoa, what are you doing? See, some of us can treat the Bible that way. Some of us can treat God that way. And so my encouragement is, man, let's lift him up, and let's not just play the I know card. 
Let's not just, oh, I know, God, I know, I know. And that's what Paul's reminding Timothy of here. Hey, you better remember some things if you want to stand in this culture and in this world as you are called by God to do. And so I want to encourage us to dwell on God's presence, not just this morning, but every moment of every day, to dwell on God's presence. Let's move through this quickly. We need to know God for who he is. We need to know God for who he is. So often in our lives, we can slip into complacency when it comes to truly worshiping God for who he is. We can begin to practically forget the sheer magnitude of the greatness of our God. When we read the word of God, we, can conform, or we, we are confronted rather over and over again. When you read the word of God, you are confronted over and over again with not only the followers of God magnifying and glorifying God, but that he himself, God himself, is making sure that we know and we understand the majesty and the greatness of our God. The very first commandment is, you should have what? No other gods before me. It's a very arrogant statement for God to make. It's a very bold statement for God to make. You should have no other gods before me. But he is making sure we are more than just aware that only he deserves that position in our hearts and in our minds, which, as Deanna already shared, what should our hearts and our minds already be doing? Be loving and cherishing and praising God. All of us praises him. And why do we do that? Why do we worship him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because only he deserves it. Only God deserves to be number one. And you might say, oh, no, I would never put anything before God. That's great. But I don't know if it's practically reality for most of us. Here's what I mean. All of us can slip into this thing about, well, I know God is number one, but this other thing is awfully close. Now, we may not verbalize it, but that's practically what we do when we elevate other things to that level. And we talked about this in our men's Bible study a couple weeks ago. Guess what happens when we try to put anything on the same plane as God? It's not this thing and God. It's this thing and God. We always will lower God to raise up something else. We never put him on the same plane. But if God is number one, then everything else is in submission to that understanding. Now we'll see God's blessing in our life. Now we'll see the fullness of what God has for us. You see, God only is number one. He only is all-knowing. He only is all-powerful. He only is everywhere present at all times. He only is truly holy. He only is truly just. He only and him alone is truly perfect. He only and him alone is truly loving. He only and him alone is only gracious. He only is majestic. And he only and him alone is truly overwhelming. Because he only is God. And he has to be God to be God. And I know you might think, well, yeah, that makes sense. But man, man, we need to dwell on that. Do you know how many moments in your life you'd spare yourself some stress and some discouragement if you would just stop and be still? And what does it say? Know that he is God. And you might say, well, I know he's God. But to know he's God means to know he is all these things. To know he is all-knowing Talk about a comforting aspect of our God. Uh, anyone here wish they were all-knowing? Yeah, me too. I do, because I struggle with not controlling, okay? No, what do you mean? I, don't, I can't predict what's going to happen three days from now? I don't like that. 
Give me the, what's, what's going to happen? I need to know. I've got to be ready. God is all-knowing. That means before you enter that season of unknown, he knew. And he's already been equipping you with what you need to endure that season. And you just need to turn and say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your grace. I need your provision. I need your guidance. And he's prepared you already to get through that season. Because he is God and he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. Nothing rivals his power. Nothing rivals the power of God. Satan and God are not adversaries on equal planes. Satan is a created being that is given a leash and an allowed to do some things in this world. But one day, God will again show that all-powerful attributes and show dominance and control over him. See, he's all-powerful. Understanding who God is leads us to understanding that we need a mediator between us and that God. If we truly know and desire to know as best we can with our finite, small minds, but from the word of God revealing it to us, we know he is these things, and I don't fully get what all-knowing means. I don't fully get what all-powerful, I don't fully get everywhere present at all times. And that's, that's a head-scratcher. Everywhere present at all times. We gather to worship him. He receives us as praise and worship. Another church on the other side of the world gathers to worship him. He receives it at the exact same time in the exact same way as worship and praise from his people. Everywhere present at all times. I could pray a prayer right now that God will hear and attend to, and somebody on the other side of the world will pray a prayer at the exact same moment, and he attends and hears to that at the exact same time. That's our God. I can't fathom that. I understand it to the degree I know it's true, but I can't put it into words. I can't describe how that's possible. And when we understand who God is and the holiness of God and the majesty of God and the perfection of God, then it should lead me to understand that I am none of those things. And to go before this God, I need a mediator. I need somebody to be a go-between because I am not all those things. He is all those things, and I can't go in his presence unless I'm those things. How can I go before his presence? I'm just a sinful man. We need a mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at verse 16 again. There's a phrase here I want to kind of draw out a little bit and unpack. Verse 16 says, Who only hath immortality? We'll get to that in just a little bit. Who only hath immortality? Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. That's the phrase I want us to think on. And man, I've read this verse so many times, and I've never stopped to dwell on that. I don't know, maybe you have. I've never stopped to dwell on what did, what did Paul just say? He says, he dwells in the light which no man can approach unto. Another way to say it is, it's unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. He dwells in light that we cannot approach. This light is the very glory and holiness of God. We cannot dwell. We cannot even approach the unapproachable light that is God's presence, holiness, and glory. Recently, uh, within the last year, NASA launched a probe, a man-made probe, to the sun. It is the first man-made object to reach the sun. And they did, I believe, last I saw, it made something like three times around. It's been kind of three different times it's gotten information from the sun. However, when we say it's going to reach the sun, what they really mean is it will get within 15 million miles from the surface of the sun. So we're, I mean, they're NASA, they're like, Pat, man, look what we've created. We are sending this probe. It's the first man-made thing to get within 15 million miles of the surface of the sun. 
That's impressive. That's ingenuity. That's amazing that they're able to do that to get information about what the sun is doing. In order to do this, however, they had to create something called a heat shield. I mean, the sun is massive and obviously very, very hot, and so they had to create a heat shield. The heat shield on the probe is made of two panels of superheated carbon-carbon composites, sandwiching a lightweight 4.5-inch thick carbon foam core. The sun-facing side of the heat shield is also sprayed with a specially formulated white coating to reflect as much of the sun's energy away from the spacecraft as possible. It is the, is the best heat shield, the most advanced materials, the, the most ingenious way to protect this probe from the heat of the sun. And it's been years in the making. Some of the greatest minds at NASA have been developing and building this thing out, and it can only get 15 million miles from the surface of the sun. Now imagine for a moment the unapproachable light of God's glory. Imagine for a moment the unapproachable light that is our God. Now imagine coming to him on your own. Imagine you're going to do just enough works and just enough good and go to church enough to go before this unapproachable light of God. But you've got your own heat shield. You've built it over years and years of going to church and doing good things and being a good person. And you know what's going to happen when that heat shield that you've created, that you've developed, that you think is so good and so strong, that's made of pine and covered in Kleenex, gets before the unapproachable light of God? It's going to be consumed. You won't even get close. It's like creating a heat shield made of pine covered in Kleenex and going before God and saying, here I am. And the glory that is our God, if we believe he is truly this glorious and this holy and this majestic, you will be consumed in your sin and in your arrogance to think that you could go before that God and you've done enough to make it work. No, we don't make our own heat shield. We don't go into his light by our good deeds, by our doing We need a mediator to go before us. And here's the amazing thing about this. The very God that dwells in unapproachable light is the God that became the heat shield for us, is the God that became the sacrifice for us, is the God that said, I'll send my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, to be buried and rise again. And if you put your faith and trust in him, he will be the mediator between me and you. And he will sit on the right hand and he will pray. And I will hear him. He will intercede for you. And you'll be allowed into my very presence You'll be allowed into my very throne room. You'll be allowed into the very light. And not only that, I'm going to even allow you to walk in the light that is my glory because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the heat shield that we needed. He is the mediator that came when we had nothing else. He is the one that goes before us. The very God that was perfect said, I'll send my son who is perfect for you. You see, this is how... We need to see our God, that he is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. And we needed to know and should know we need a mediator to go before us. Otherwise, we will be consumed by his glory. We need to dwell on these realities because I think when we forget these things practically, we begin to live for self. And we get discouraged by the silliest things. We get focused on the silliest things. It's so sobering to remember, wait, 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 but why did God do all this? Why did Jesus Christ allow me into the presence of God? Why did Jesus Christ save me and redeem me? And so many people will say, well, it's just for relationship. It is for relationship. But greater than relationship, you were created and saved and redeemed to glorify God. 
And you know what you get to do? You get to tell the people about how God has saved you and redeemed you and how they can know him and know his presence. We get to be messengers of God. However, in this world, that's difficult, is it not? It's kind of tough to be his messengers in our culture today. It's tough to be voices in the wilderness, if you will. But I want to remind you, why was Paul spending so much time reminding Timothy of who God is, of the vastness of God and the greatness of God? Because I believe that he knew it would be the greatest encouragement for Timothy to continue to fight the good fight of faith. We see that phrase here in 1 Timothy. So the first thing we need to understand, if you're taking notes, is we need to dwell on God's presence. We need to know who our God is. And when we know who our God is, it will make us aware that we need a mediator. However, when we dwell on God's presence, we will also understand the reason to dwell. You see, the reason to dwell is an encouragement to keep fighting. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, meekness. See, these are the the works of the Spirit of God in our lives. We don't create these things in our lives. We don't get better at these things on our own. We don't say, well, I'm kind of godly, but I'm not very loving, so I need to work on loving. No, no, no. We merely allow the Spirit of God more of us. We walk in the presence of God by abiding in Christ and his word, and he will produce these things in our life so that he alone is glorified. But we need to make the choice to follow after these things, to surrender to these things. He goes on to say in verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know what Paul's writing here when he says, fight the good fight of faith. He says, you need to fight in this world. You need to fight through these things. Paul challenged Timothy to not quit. Uh, Deanna was sharing this morning, and I kept thinking, man, I think I would have quit. I I really do. In my own strength, I couldn't have done it. But I'm so thankful that in this life, when I want to quit, God gives me that strength. God gives me that ability to say, no, you need to keep going. And I'll be honest with you guys. There's sometimes Monday mornings. I roll into the office like, man, maybe this is it. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is, I just need to call it quits. Some, it's usually after a service of some kind where it's just like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Now, it's not always that way. I don't want you to think like tomorrow morning someone's going to come and be like, don't quit. You'll be okay. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't do that. Okay, you're fine. Okay, it's not what I'm saying. Okay, I'm just saying as, as pastor, usually it's sometime during the beginning of the week that a lot of, they say that Monday is the number one day that pastors resign from their church. Because usually, and again, I mentioned this already, so put it in context. I don't believe this is our church. Okay, maybe it was at one time, but I pray and I hope and I know that we've learned from our past. We've not always been a great church. Let me say it this way. His church has always been great, but I don't believe we've always been his church, meaning in the right way, keeping our mind on him. But anyway, when you look at that, there was a time where Sandra and I would want to quit. There's a lot of times where that stuff would come up over the years. But you know what? Over the last couple of years, it's the last few years, handful of years, it's been amazing to know that, man, God, you've blessed us with such an encouraging, loving church. But there are times where maybe you want to quit, and they're not in a ministry per se, but maybe just, man, just God, I don't know anymore. Man, is it really worth the fight? Is it really worth it? Now, when I see the word fight here, don't think fight like aggression. I think the fight that really Paul has encouraged Timothy to wage is the fight within. I don't think he was saying fight against these people, fight against the culture, fight against this, fight against that. You know, get out there and protest and call people names, which does nothing, by the way. Just throwing that out there. 
You want to see real life change in someone's life that maybe stands on the side of a line that you don't understand? Why don't you try serving them, praying for them, encouraging them with God's love and grace? I mean, we speak truth. Don't get me wrong. Uh, There is no way we back down from truth, but we speak truth in love. And so Paul's reminding Timothy, listen, the fight we really need to wage is within. When the spirit of flesh starts trying to remind us to quit, when our weaknesses want to make us quit, we fight against those things. How do we do this? Well, the fight plan, I read a little bit of it, but I encourage you to read the majority of 1 Timothy 6. The fight plan that Paul lays out for Timothy is to flee, he says what? These things. Well, these things, which would be the sinful attitudes or actions that he addressed in the previous verses, he says, flee those things and follow after righteousness and all the things that accompany our righteousness in Christ. Well, Jesus Christ gave the same edification when he said in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, it's a choice we make. I'm not going to follow after these things. I'm going to turn from these things, repent of those things. I'm going to follow after these things, the righteousness of Christ, not so I could gain the righteousness of Christ by works and doing, but because I've already received it through the person and work of Jesus Christ, now I'm going to pursue these things and allow them to be a part of my life. Timothy lived in the godless city of Ephesus. And while the church seemed to be strong, although they had their issues, the surrounding culture was worldly and pluralistic, as our world is today. But again, I love that Paul's point wasn't go fight them. It was, no, no, make sure you're where you need to be. Make sure your heart and mind are where it needs to be. However, we can get tired or feel that we are not doing anything that's really making any real difference. We can get discouraged and disappointed when we don't see things happening we think God should be doing. But the key is to remember we keep fighting for the gospel, for Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. It's about allowing God to change us, to preach the gospel to ourselves, and then allow it to come out of us in our words and our actions. But not only is it an encouragement to keep fighting— It's also an encouragement not to fear, an encouragement to not fear. So 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, I already read them, but I'm going to read it again and then we'll unpack just a little bit of this. So it's an encouragement to keep fighting, an encouragement to not fear. Verse 15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Here we see the word in our King James Bible. Some of your translations translate it a little differently. It's fine. Uh, the word potentate. It means a royal minister of great authority. A royal minister of great authority. Someone who is truly mighty. To be honest, this is why we don't fear. This is why we are encouraged to not fear when we face unknown circumstances or situations because we serve a king who is mighty, one of great authority. This is also so vital to our understanding that we do not need to fear what comes in this life from others or even in situations because our God is not just mighty. He is the ultimate authority. Other translations translate this word to also be ruler, uh, almighty, and sovereign. Those are the three, when I was reading through, and I think I looked at probably 25 different translations, uh, that was the majority of what the other words were. A lot of them used potentate, a lot used 
uh, sovereign, but ruler and almighty were also words that were used there. And again, all in line with the original meaning of the word, all in line with the true definition of the Greek word to mean one who is the authority, the controller, the ruler, if you will. Timothy knew he could not continue to live in great confidence in this world without understanding one key, one truth, that only God is the sovereign of all. He is the only immortal being. He was the only and is the only immortal being. Now you might say, no, no, we're going to live forever. Yes, we will live forever future, but we were created at some point in the past. God has never been created. He's always been, always will be, and will always continue to be. He is the only one immortal. Everything else came into existence at some point. Only God is his own essence. He was not brought into existence. He sustains. He is self-sufficient in his own being. We are gifted with eternal life from God through Christ. We are now considered immortal because we will live forever with him. Our soul will go on forever, either with him or in a place of hell, depending on the choice we make on the person and work of Jesus Christ. But we were created. We have not, you have not always been. You were created at some point. God has always Ben. He is the origin of eternity past and eternity future. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I want to ask, man, can we just dwell? Can you dwell in the presence and the glory of God? Can you understand, man, God, this is who you are. And that drew me to a point of understanding there needed to be a mediator between me and you. And thank you that you gave Jesus Christ as a gift to any who would believe that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And I need him to go between you and me because I am sinful. I am broken. I am not perfect. I could not approach your unapproachable light without a mediator, one who would go before me. And so thank you for saving me. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never personally received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've gone to church since you were a kid. Maybe this is one of the first times you've been in church. I don't know. But the point is, if you've never personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can go to church all you want. You can do all the good works. You can get baptized 50 times. You can read the Bible. You can write tithes, checks. You can do whatever you want. But without Christ, it is all pine and Kleenex. It is all just worthless. But with Christ, man, you can have eternal life, abundant life, and know the presence of God for eternity. Have your sins forgiven because God's holiness and righteousness is really that high. He is really that perfect, and we really do need a mediator. But maybe you know Christ this morning, and you want to dwell on his presence this morning because it will give you the encouragement to keep fighting and to no fear. There's no fear. there's, There's no fear in this life because I know the God that is over all. And so, Lord, help me to keep fighting. Now, yes, understand, when I say we fight internally, it doesn't mean we don't fight externally for the things that God says to fight for. But please don't misunderstand fighting for as fighting against. Paul says in in Ephesians 6 that we do not wage war against flesh and blood. We fight for the things of God, but we better understand that these people in our culture today that don't know Christ, they are not the enemy. We love, we encourage, we speak truth. We fight for the things of God. We don't fight against others. There's a big difference there. But as we're fighting for the things of God, inwardly and externally, we also know I have no reason to fear because he is over all. We keep fighting the good fight of faith because our God is all that he says he is and can do all that he says he can do. I want to encourage us all to dwell in the presence of God this morning and in the coming week, praising him for allowing us by his grace 
into his glorious light. Would you uh, just bow with me in a word of prayer before we stand and have a time of invitation? Right there as you're seated, just begin to pray. I just want to ask you this morning just to spend some time with him. Just to truly, the Bible uses the word meditate on. And I know in our culture today with new age beliefs and things like that, that word has taken on a whole different meaning. Like a lot of things, some things have kind of seeped into the church that really have no business being in the church. But when we use that word, meditate, we're not talking about some mystical type experience. There's nothing mystical about it. It's just dwelling. It's I'm going to choose to dwell and to focus on the presence of God. I'm going to choose to dwell on the reality of who God says he is. And I'm going to praise God this morning that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the mediator between us and him, that we're allowed by his grace into the truly unapproachable light of God's glory. But as you pray right there where you are, maybe you don't know Christ this morning. Maybe you've been to church a long time. Maybe you've done some things. You've done some religious things. You've served or whatever. But this morning, you'd, you'd kind of be honest with yourself, just between you and God. This is for no one else. This is between you and God. And, and you would say, you know what, Lord? I, there's never been a point in my life where I've actually trusted you as my Savior, where I've actually repented of my sins. I believed that you died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again, and committed my life to you as yours. Maybe you've never done that. Then don't walk out of here this morning thinking it's too late. I've done too much. God couldn't save someone like me. There is no such thing as a sin that God cannot forgive when we go to him and we go about having it forgiven his way. So we ask humbly, God, would you forgive me of my sins? I repent of these things. I turn from these things. I turn to you and I ask that you'd be the Lord of my life. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, but you'd like to talk to someone about that, there are those in the front row here that in just a few minutes as we stand for prayer, you can come and there's, there's going to be a couple men and a couple ladies. And if you want to come and just have a conversation, we'd love to show you in the word of God how you can know that you know that you know Christ. Maybe you want to come in just a moment and pray and say, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the mediator that is the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your holiness and being all that you say you are. Whatever God is doing, maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you want to come and pray about something that wasn't even talked about this morning, something you're going through that you want to come and ask God for wisdom on. Whether you want to come and bend a knee at the altar or whether you want to pray with someone, whatever God is doing, would you respond to him? Father, may you lead, guide, and direct in all these things. We're so thankful for your love and your grace. And may we dwell on your presence this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation? Whatever it is that God is doing, would you come and pray? Again, maybe you want to pray with someone in the front row here. Uh, you just respond to what God is doing. Maybe you want to come and say, God, thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for being God that is sovereign over all. That I don't need to fear what man may do to me or what the world may do to me. I know you, and that's enough. Maybe you want to come and just praise him this morning and just bend a knee. However God is leading, would you respond as we sing?